to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, what for Ooh, that doesn't get any, get any lower. <laughs> um, welcome, you guys. We're so excited. We have a really exciting show mm-hmm. uh, in store with... Um, some fun, some fun folks. So, uh, but before we do, we we want to go over some housekeeping because we got so much to cover, and we we, we try to keep these as as tight as we can. Um, but we did want to announce that we have just released our very first mini episode ah! that was released on Friday. Yep. Um, and you can only get that mini episode if you are a patron, a patron. You have to go to the Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash nymysterymachine. And for tiers two and up, you will get a monthly mini episode. Mini episode. Mini episode. Um, And this month's episode is all about um, the haunting of the Belasco Theater on Broadway. Um, You know, it was built by by famed... um, impresario david belasco and many believe that his spirit still resides at the theater as well as others so um we did a nice fun episode on that it's a mini episode with no uh no ads none of that junk um (laughs) it's all a full episode just for you and so um you can only access it however on our patreon so if you are one of our patrons all you got to do is head over to Patreon, and you can just click and, and listen at your at your, uh, your at leisure. leisure. Um, so, but we're really excited to start those up uh, and um, and start all of the the fun the fun um, patron patron things. So again, patreon.com slash ny mystery machine um, and subscribe for as little as three dollars. But if you want to listen to this mini episode, it's a little less five dollars a month, and all of that really is going to help just kind of get some new equipment, which we've been kind of like crying about for the last like six months <laughs> in the arms of the angels um also 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 please uh don't forget to like subscribe um if you're listening right now all you gotta do is head on over to itunes or wherever you're listening to it on probably it's itunes or or spotify and uh, just be sure to give us five stars and if you're on apple podcast drop us a review you can be entered to win um uh, a free a free sticker by being our listener of the month so that is that um, for our, our, our normal listeners, you were like, wow, Adam, you are really plowing through <laughs> pre, pre-show announcements because we have a really stacked show today. I'm excited. It's a really fun show. This week, we have some incredible folks on the pod with us. Guests. Guests. Huzzah. Our first guests. Our first guests ever. Yeah. We don't really do guests. We don't do guests. But we had to, we had to have these, these, these guests. These are great guests. If you follow us on the socials, you know we've been plugging this show all weekend long. They dropped an episode on Thursday. Um, and so um, on that episode, we we were guests. Mm-hmm. And so now they're guests on our show mm-hmm. because that's how collaboration works. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if you listen to us weekly, you've heard me mention them a bunch in prior episodes. I always like to think of them as our, our cousins from Connecticut. Uh, from Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, we have the titular Sean and the very titular Carrie McCabe with us. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Oh my gosh. How you doing, guys? We're splendid. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm great. I'm fantastic. Uh, really, long time, long time no see. It's been, uh, it's been so, so long. long. <laughs> been about a week, and uh, uh, boy, just just so much has changed. So uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm very excited. 
to talk about some weirdness with you, some New York weirdness. Oh, Absolutely. I do love some New York weirdness. Um, I've known Carrie for years mm-hmm. through, basically through random happenstance and then social media, <laughs> as mm-hmm. as one does. Um, and then I had both both her and Sean on my other podcast, a talk back when they first launched Ain't It Scary? And we got to talk about all the cool things that they were doing on the show. And now, how long has the show been on? Oh, over a year now. About a year and a half, probably. That's what I said, about a year and a half. Yeah. That's we mean. just had you guys on our 67th episode. So. Yowza! Yowzers. <laughs> um, so we've been talking about this collaboration for like, we've been on the air for like six months. So we've been talking roughly for six <laughs> months about doing this collaboration. But we're so happy to be finally doing it. And so last week, ice again, we were we were guests on their pod and, and Sean took us through all of the early UFO happenings in Hudson Valley. Yeah. The whole Hudson Valley area has been a crazy hotspot for a ton of paranormal activity. We've we have visited Hudson Valley for a number of episodes. Um, and among all that strange action have been reports of alien sightings. Uh, so on Aided Scary with Sean Carey, uh, we, we got taken through some of that UFO phenomena that arose from 1983 through 1986. So if you haven't listened to that episode, we super go strongly urge you to go take a listen. It sets the stage for this episode. Um, you can find Aided Scary with Sean and Carey wherever you listen to your podcasts. They're on all the socials at Ain't It Scary. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and today, what Christina has prepared is a is a little companion piece. A little companion piece, a little little abduction. A little abduction. Um, but before we get to the abduction, uh, <laughs> Carrie and Sean on the Mulder. We have a trademarked Mulder to Scully scale on on the New York Mystery Machine, um, with your options being Mulder, the absolute, you know, believes everything at the drop of a hat. Uh, next one down, I suppose, would be Monica Reyes, sort of in between that. Uh, John Doggett sort of like, eh, if it happens to me, sure. I guess I have to say that happened. Uh, and then Scully being like, no, bullshit. Where do you fall on the Mully to Scully? The Mully? The Mully <clears throat> to Scully. The Mully to Scully scale. It's harder to say than you would think. Um, I'm definitely more of, I'm more of a Mully than a Scully. <laughs> okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, you're a I'm Scully. A, I'm more of a Scully than a Mully. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cuting them up confused me completely. <laughs> yeah, we always say that it's basically like Mulder and Scully kind of swap genders and have a podcast together. Well, and yeah, the will they, the will they won't they it's, it's, becomes they a, did they, they did, did. They did. Yeah. <laughs> love that. Um, yeah, so he's he's pretty fully Scully. I think you'd probably get kind of closer to the Doggett stuff if you ever saw anything that was just you you had to believe it. Um, and I'm I'm pretty Mulder, but mm-hmm. I mean he's a lot, <laughs> so uh, you know well, he's, I, I try to keep it in the realm of possibility. You share enthusiasm right. and excitement yes, for it. Yes, I do. I'm I love I love the weird. So um, that that I definitely share with him for sure. Love it. Love it. Well, today we are we are going to be talking about alien abduction specifically. Ooh, shocking! I know abduction. <laughs> um, and so when I say alien abduction, what comes to mind for you both? Uh, Betty and Barney Hill comes to mind first because uh, the classic, uh, the classic. They're the classic uh, UFO abduction. Yeah, just I also just think of the the classic image of a flying saucer with a beam and like a cow kind of floating into a UFO. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, you, you think of uh, usually the little gray aliens, you think of uh, probes, you think mm-hmm. of 
uh, tables uh, being strapped to. Um, <laughs> comma being strapped. To. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's always, always a gangplank. A- aliens have never figured out step technology. There's right. always just a bridge sort of like Daleks. They can't go up steps. Oh, maybe they are wheeled rather than the uh, little gray. No, they're just wheel. not ableist. That's the thing. They're they're for everyone, no matter what. Oh, I love. They've got ramps them. for everyone. I love well, that about them. You know, I hadn't considered maybe, this angle. They're inclusive. Maybe we should maybe we should let them make hybrids with us. What My word, know? have we been like selling them <laughs> selling them the wrong way for all these years? Oh, we've been so wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'll let them like take control of my brain for a minute if they're going to continue this literally great society of ramps. <laughs> well, yeah. So all of those things um, are are you know what I think of when I think of classic alien abduction tropes, um, and there are a couple of of people and a couple of books that really have helped spring that into the 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 public consciousness, right? And so one of them is the, the book that you um, referred to last week, um, The Night Siege by Hynek and Imbrogno and somebody else. Pratt. Bob Pratt, Pratt was the last one. Can't believe I couldn't remember How Pratt. I could not remember Bob Pratt, the legendary Bob the Pratt. Legendary Bob the legendary The father of Chris Pratt, of course. <laughs> Founder of the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Right. God. <laughs> Uh, well, the, one of the other books um, is Communion by Whitley Stryber, where Whitley Stryber tells us the tale of his abduction. And that's what we're going to be drawing on from today. So who is Whitley Stryber? You tell me. Whitley Stryber. He's the most famous Whitley, that's for <laughs> He's sure. the most I, famous Whitley. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I know some like two first name people, like my friend Kyle Ryan. Uh, this is a, the mom was just like, you know what? No first names. Zero <laughs> first names. No first names. <laughs> Well, Whitley Stryber, born June 13th, 1945, is an American author of horror novels and is best known, of course, for this this book, Communion. Um, it's worth noting that some of his subsequent works um, seem a little little crazy, even for me. Um, so <laughs> one, one book being um, uh, an account of how he was at a hotel one day and in the middle of the night, a guy comes and knocks on his door, revealing that he has the answer to the life universe everything and his new vision of god never gave his name striper refers to him as master of the key it's a lot but that's neither here nor there the key master uh, master <laughs> yeah key master master of the key um so you know just want to flag that at the top and he's big on he's big on uh, uh calling whatever these uh uh beings he interacted with He's big on calling them outsiders, right? He's not necessarily sure this is an alien story. Yeah. He's got some interesting ideas um, about what, what could be happening here. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, it's, 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 it's interesting. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to go over his account, and we're going to start by going over the events that prompted him to first believe he may have been abducted. And then we'll go back over the major incidents as he remembered them chronologically through uh, hypnosis. Stryber opens his book with these words. This is the story of one man's attempt to deal with a shattering assault from the unknown. It is a true story, as true as I know how to describe it. To all appearances, I have had an elaborate personal encounter with intelligent, non-human beings. At first, I thought I was losing my mind, but I was interviewed by three psychologists and three psychiatrists, given a battery of psychological tests and a neurological examination, and found to fall within the normal range in all respects. I had been indifferent to the whole issue of unidentified flying objects and extraterrestrials. I had viewed them as a false unknown, 
easily explainable as misperceptions or hallucinations. Now what was I to think? So he starts his tale, uh, Christmas 1985. They have a cabin in, you guessed it, Hudson Valley. Um <laughs> In the woods in Hudson Valley. And that's where they're spending Christmas. He, his wife, his son. And it's a lovely Christmas. Um, And at this point, Stryver also makes it quite clear to us that they have never used drugs. (laughs) They've never used drugs and they they rarely have more than wine. Um, But on December 26th, they had a dinner of leftover Christmas goose with all the trimmings. And then at 8.30, Stryver went about the house and started turning on the burglar alarm. For some unknown reason that we will come back to later, um, he had become somewhat obsessive about setting burglar alarms this past fall. Um, Hmm. He was suddenly like, need to do this every night, need to set the alarm, need to check the house. He actually would like open closets and peek under beds to make sure nobody was there. Um, Hmm. So he does this. And uh, then by 11, they go to sleep. Sometime in the middle of the night, he wakes up. He hears a whooshing noise from the living room. He describes it as though it sounds like a bunch of people were moving around the room really quickly. Which you have to wonder, like, how quickly would you have to move around the room to make a whooshing sound? Did he the flash? (laughs) (laughs) The flashes. Um, It's a Usain Bolt at the very least. (laughs) And and, uh, so he, he sits up in his bed um, he looks at the burglar alarm panel nearby. According to it, nothing's been breached. And he goes back to bed. And as he does, he notices that one of the doors into the bedroom has begun to move. So he sits up again. And at this juncture, he saw a, quote, compact figure, unquote. A small figure, maybe three and a half-ish feet tall. And it was sort of bending around the door into the room so that I could, like, look in at him. Um, which I can't think of anything more terrifying for the record. <laughs> uh and so it's bending around the door looking in. Stryber says that it had a rounded hat on. Like um, the one I'm wear like the one I'm wearing? Like, like a, a beanie? beanie? Um apparently it had a brim that stuck out a little bit. So I'm honestly I'm envisioning like 1940s detective, not quite a fedora, but you know, like a bowler or something. I don't know. Yeah, a bowler hat, yeah. A okay. bowler, yeah. I love a little bowler hat. I love Aww. it. It's fashionable. Just a little alien, a little alien with its little fancy hat. (laughs) Little fancy hat. (laughs) They're so cute now. (laughs) They're inclusive. They're fashionable. Can someone make it? Peeks around. He goes, "Hello, mate." Can we get some art? Can can someone send art of an alien with a little little bowler cap on? That's all I want. Yes. Yeah. Walking up a handicap ramp. Yes. (laughs) Hello. Well, Stryber says that eventually, when he gets a better look, it has you know the classic alien tropes, right? The large, black eyes, um, a line-like mouth. So Stryber is sitting there, stunned and scared, and then suddenly this compact figure comes moving swiftly into the room. Oh, what's your rush? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then there's blackness. That's all Stryber remembers. The next thing he knows consciously is that he is in motion. He's naked. Uh, his arms every time, every time, <laughs> arms and legs are extended, and he's moving somehow out of the room. Then the next memory is of being in a small ditch in the woods. And in front of him is a being that he felt to be feminine. He'll refer to this a number of times. There are certain, I don't know, he gets feminine energy from one type of being that he encounters and masculine energy from the other. Well, it's, it's, it's what, like the way they carry themselves? 
no idea. It might be a psychic thing. That, I mean, we kind of talked about that last episode of, you know, it seems like they have this sort of psychic link with a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Especially because us as humans have developed gender as a thing, but aliens... Well, right. You know, who's who's to say what what genders are, you know, co commonly constructed in alien societies. Yeah. But this is he makes a point of this several times and he puzzles over. He's like, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I really feel like this one's a she. So I'm going to use that. <laughs> it's is that him trying to justify the fact that he's attracted to him? <laughs> it's really important to him. <laughs> Hold that thought. He's like, I ain't no queer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <laughs> he's in the woods. He has this being in front of him who he feels is feminine. Apparently she is small and she's explaining something. He can't remember what. And then all of a sudden he's above the treetops and he's looking down. And then he's in a room and he's surrounded by beings. Um, one of them essentially says that they're going to put this weird needle thing that they're holding in front of him and put it into his nose. Don't like that. Nope. He's terrified. Yeah. So they're speaking English to him? Yes. Wow. They are communicating, although he will eventually note that at no point does he necessarily think that they're moving their lips talking. It's more like... Oh, in his brain. Psychic. Telepathic talk. Yeah. yeah. So it gets translated into his brain. You know, Star Trek has universal translators. Who's to say? Who's to say? Um, and so he, he protests. He does not want this thing in his nose. Go figure. He argues with them, screams. Hey, hey, hey enough. <laughs> this part's my favorite. He's screaming so much that apparently, and I don't remember if he remembers this before hypnosis, but I'm going to say it here. He remembers that he's screaming so much that the being was like, oh, what can we do to make you stop screaming? And he was like, let me smell you. No, that's a weird thing. But that was Whitley's answer? Yeah. Well, me I mean, he didn't know if he you? could still smell after they stuck the needle up his nose. So he figured one last one last for the road. Well, he says that it was, you know, he later realized because he was he says throughout that he feels like a lot of his responses in these visitation situations are bizarre and counterintuitive and co contrary to like what you would think. So he, he's smelling them um, as one does. As one does. Um, he would later Why? say, well, so he later says that he thinks that in that instance, it was sort of like this idea that he can't believe what's going on. But if he can, if he can smell them, they're not a dream, right? That's different. So I think that's the logic here. And so there was something reassuring to him in that moment, I guess, that like, it's not, it's not just my imagination. This is happening to me. I don't know how that makes you stop screaming, but here we are. It's also, if I may... A, a weird thing to make up about yourself. It's a very <laughs> it's also... strange there, choice. There's going to be a few of those. Um, yeah, there's a. <laughs> so uh, she lets him smell her. Um, he describes in various ways. Um, I believe it's a little musty, a little cinnamony, a little uh, expired cheesy. Um, no, I'm sorry. That's very different sense. <laughs> what if you smash cheese? them all you're together? Like, you're like cinnamony, expired cheesy, you know. I think it's so like, like an old flan. It sounds like Norwegian <laughs> cooking. Yes. Yes to both of those. It's a little bit of like that Icelandic shark dish that's rotten when you eat it, so you have to down the, the vodka right after or something. It's that. Yeah. Um, so at that moment, he stops screaming. Fine. Um, they do the operation. Apparently it was very quick. Uh, someone does an anal probe like you do. And then uh, someone made an incision on his forefinger, like you do. And then it was morning, and he was in bed. Doesn't I, I remember anything. I appreciate you glossing the anal probe. <laughs> and there was an anal probe. He goes into it a little bit. Um, and it is traumatic for him. He is he is upset when he remembers this. Um, 
But at the time when he wakes up in the morning on the 27th, he doesn't remember any of this. Um, in fact, all he remembers was an intense memory of seeing a barn owl staring at him at night through the, the window. Um, and he even tells his wife this. He says, uh, you know, there was this weird owl watching me all night. And she was like, okay, all right. Well, and my um, butt really hurts. And also my butt hurts. <laughs> yes. Uh, Wait, are we saying... Are we saying owls work for the aliens? And uh, if so, did an owl do the murder from the, or did the aliens do the murder from the staircase? <laughs> Maybe. That. Also, you know, the owls are not what they seem in Twin Peaks. Um, <laughs> and Mothman. And Mothman. There you go. It's all related, guys. Uh, so Stryber says that even as he tells his wife this, he knows he didn't see an owl, but that's like the, the thing he remembers somehow. And so this is... Um, a classic example of a screen memory, right? So the idea is that something so wildly traumatic has happened that you've, you've covered it over in a way that kind of makes it palatable or at least makes sense to you. And this is common in a lot of uh, abduction narratives. So shortly after this event, he becomes physically and mentally unwell. So he has chills, he's exhausted, he's depressed. There's an infection on his forefinger. And you, you, you guessed it, rectal pain uh, that made sitting uncomfortable. I knew go, it. Caroline. Her brain, her brain goes right to the right sick places. On account of the <laughs> butt stuff. Right. Listen. January third, he gets a pain behind his right ear. It's sort of like a like a feeling that both his skull is aching and also that um like the skin is really sensitive. Um, and so he must have been talking about it because his wife apparently like examines the area and can see uh, a tiny, tiny pinpoint scab of some kind, like a needle scab, I guess. Um, in his nose? No. I, well, I don't recall what he said. I guess I have to double check that. I don't think it's in his nose at this juncture. Okay. Um, it's sort of behind the head, I think. Sure. Don't quote me on that. I won't quote you. Um. <laughs> Now, it's worth noting uh, that, at, so at this time, he starts having the flashes that he's like, oh, something weird happened on the 26th, and it wasn't just an owl. And around this time... <laughs> it wasn't okay. just that weird fucking owl. <laughs> <laughs> around this time, newspapers are starting to report, too, of a UFO hoax in Middletown nearby. Um, and he eventually starts to read Science and UFOs by the astronomer Peter Warrington and Jenny Randalls, which was a Christmas gift from Stryver's brother. Um, and at the end of it, there's a description of an experience that is so similar to his own returning memories that he was shocked into a state of absolute desperation, and he considers throwing himself out of a window. And it's at this point he's like, nope, I need help. And he remembered the name of a man mentioned in the book, who was considered a prominent researcher of the field. And that man is our old friend, Bud Hopkins. <laughs> oh, I remember Bud Hopkins. Yeah, Bud Hopkins. <laughs> he was all the way back from uh, episode two. Yeah, yeah. From the Linda Cortile. Right. Cortile. 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 Bud Hopkins, um, if you've been listening to us, uh, wrote the book um, about the uh, Brooklyn Bridge abductions, the abduction of Linda Cortile. Um, mm. And he also, I believe, wrote about Betty and Betty the Hills, right? No, did I make that I up? I mean, he's a big UFO writer. Yes. Yeah, he's got he his fingers in a whole lot of saucer-shaped pies. He has I his think. fingers in more holes than those aliens do. 
<laughs> I was I waiting for someone. <laughs> triple B. <laughs> so uh, if you don't, if you if you haven't been listening this whole time, you don't know who Bud Hopkins is. He's an American painter whose works are in national and international museums like the Guggenheim and the Whitney. Became interested in UFO phenomena and alien abductions or visitations. Um, and he would even establish a support group for those who had encounters in his living room. And he's also one of the people who like really launches what we think of as alien uh, abduction tropes into the public consciousness. So Stryber seeks out Hopkins. Uh, he looks up his name in the phone book, calls him out of the blue, and Hopkins says, come on over immediately. And so he asks Stryber, anything else weird ever happened to you? Like, is there anything else, you know, other weird owls staring at you in your past? <laughs> and uh, Stryber says, no, 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 no. And then I do seem to remember a night the house burned down, but it didn't burn down. Wasn't the owl in the Linda Cotilli episode as well? Do I, make, am I remembering that wrong? I'm probably remembering it wrong. I don't remember. I'm probably remembering it wrong. There's always we- weird owls weird around. Owl. Or like, <laughs> my mom's going to hate this reference, um, or like really big-eyed frogs. Ooh. That's just for her. She will be very <laughs> upset. Mama Nelly. That was just a chilling image. I didn't <laughs> yeah. get any Mama Nelly's going to be unhappy with that. Sorry, Mama Nelly. Um, and so Hopkins recognizes this as a really strange thing to have said and said, well, why don't you, uh, you know, tell me more about that? And, and Stryber says, well, we had guests over. And Hopkins says, why don't you talk to them? Ask them, you know, what do they remember about that night? So he does. What Stryber is remembering is that on October 4th, 1985, so just a few months prior, he, his wife, his son, and two old friends, Jacques and Annie, all went up to the cabin. Uh, they arrived too late to go shopping, so they ate at a restaurant and then got home and went to bed immediately. Jacques and Annie uh, took the guest room on the first floor next to Stryber's son's room, and Stryber and his wife, who confusingly is also named Anne, uh, went to their room upstairs. And in the middle of the night, Stryber recalls a blue light reflecting onto the ceiling of the living room, which is visible from their bedroom. And he thought to himself that the chimney must be on fire. And then in this continual series of actions that doesn't make sense if you're being rational about this he goes back to sleep he thinks the chimney's on fire and goes huh okay and goes back to sleep don't have that chimney anyway (laughs) blue equals fire equals eh, whatever it's fine i'll go to sleep handless in the morning yeah that that connection doesn't work either (laughs) (laughs) blue light must be a fire yeah the chimney's obviously on fire it's been red every other time <laughs> and so there he goes back to sleep and then he's awakened again a little while later by like a firecracker like sound. He hears his wife cry out, his son shout and he says to his wife, "The roof's on fire. I'll go get our son and wake up." We don't need no water let the motherfucker burn. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh he gets up, uh, the glow disappears, he comforts his son, he goes back to bed and then promptly doesn't remember much of this. So when he's now in the in what we're going to call our present, right? So this is 1986. He's doing all of this thinking about weird experiences he's had. He asks his wife about October 4th, and she says immediately, well, she remembers a bang. She doesn't remember a glow, but she does remember Stryber saying that there wasn't a fire after all. And Stryber's son said he remembered it as, (laughs) quote, the night... (laughs) Over the bacon in the morning. Oh, there wasn't a fire after all. (laughs) Whitley, <laughs> you're just going to let us all burn? <sighs> Striper's son, and he makes it very clear throughout that he doesn't speak. He, he barely lets his wife know what's going on. She knows he's in a bad place, but he doesn't really <laughs> explain why. 
Um, and he lets on nothing with his son. He asks if he, you know, he remembers anything about the last time Jacques and Annie came to the cabin. And Stryber's son says he remembers it. Oh, the night of the bang. A bunch of people told me it was okay. And you just threw your shoe at a fly. And Stryber said, what people? Oh. And the son said, just a bunch of people. The people who are around. Um, How old's this kid? He doesn't say, if I recall. Um, I get the sense on the young side. I get the sense that this is under 10, probably around the six, seven year age mark. So creepy little kid going, oh, the people that are around. You're right. Daddy. It's like, oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we got to get some more details out of this kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's all this kid. He knows, he knows more than he's letting on. Well, so Striper asks his son, he says, have you ever had unusual dreams? And his son immediately answers, well, I dreamed a bunch of little doctors took me out on the porch and put me on a cot. I got scared and they started saying, we won't hurt you over and over in my head. That's my strangest dream because it was just like it was real. It happened in the middle of another dream when I was dreaming that me and Ezra, a friend of his, uh, were in a boat. Now, he couldn't remember that dream uh, more specifically. And he definitely had it when they were at the cabin. But it could be that same night. It could be another night. A little unclear. So Stryber calls his friends Jacques and Annie. And he says, do you remember anything about the last time you guys were up in the country? And Jacques said, the light. I was sleeping and all of a sudden something woke me up. I saw the room was full of light, bright, like daylight, not like the moon. I thought we overslept. And then I looked at my watch and it says 430. Then I hear you go through the door saying it's okay. The light's gone. And so I went back to sleep. And Annie, who was not yet on the phone, so she probably heard one half of the conversation, said that she was awakened by the sound of an explosion. Quote, it was a bang. And then I heard the scurry of little feet running across your upstairs bedroom. It must have been the cats. Nota bene, the cats were at home in the city because they have an apartment in the city as well. As one does. And this stuff only really happened in the country. In, in the country. the Hudson Valley cabin that they had. Primarily, yeah. So okay. do we do we think the scurrying was the little doctors? <laughs> I think so. I think it's that whooshing sound, right? I think that's what he's saying. Um, do they wear capes? Maybe the whooshing <laughs> is from capes. Like little Rick Wakeman's just running around. Little but... capes and little bowler hats. They're <laughs> that's adorable. really cute. Adorable. And so he also recalls that around this time in October, he had this urge to get out of New York City. He couldn't live there anymore. He wanted to move to Texas. And so they take the son out of school. They put him in a new school in Texas. They go to Texas. They're buying a house in Austin. And he's like, nope, can't be here. Can't be here. This is even worse somehow. And then they stayed in New York. And so he's beginning to wonder, like, did something happen in Texas too? Um, and so he decides at this point, you know what? A little hypnosis. But I feel like that's a great time to take a break. Ooh, <laughs> let's let's do that. So we'll be right back, and then we'll uh, we'll be back with uh, we'll be back with not just us, but more Sean Carrot. Ah, ain't it scary? Are you enjoying the New York Mystery Machine? Awesome. So are we. And if you like our show, then you will absolutely love Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. But don't take my word for it. Hear from the creepy couple themselves. I mean, I mean, creepy as in they like creepy things. They themselves aren't necessarily creepy, but... 
Okay, guys, just just explain the show. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. The show really feels like just kicking back with us at home and chatting about monsters and tragedies, but having a few laughs along the way. Just like we'd be doing if the mics were off, frankly. (laughs) You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Forever and ever. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries. But how would you like to solve your very own mystery? Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery. Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer. So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NYMYSTERYMACHINE for 20% off the first box. That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NYMYSTERYMACHINE. Sign up now and begin the hunt. Bow, bow, bow. All right. Well, we're back. We're back. Huzzah. Huzzah. We're back. Huzzah. We've been being abducted. We've been being abducted. We were, we weren't. We, Striber, mm, Striper was abducted. Yeah, we weren't. Abducted. We were not abducted, please God. Uh, have you Striber lost was. any, have you lost any time, Christina? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, So last we left him, he was realizing that he had a lot of events that possibly don't really make as much sense as he once thought they did and so he decides he's going to uh do a little hypnotic regression or regressive hypnosis depending depending on who you 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 ask heard it both ways if you ask me i say (laughs) (laughs) um and he's rightfully suspicious about hypnosis i'll say um because regressive hypnosis you know it's all really highly dependent on you know the person asking the questions to not be leading in any way and also there's always the possibility that it's sort of like a dreamlike state, right? So what you remember, the degree to which it's really accurate is also a question. But all that to say, he uh, he decides to seek out someone that Hopkins has not worked with. He doesn't want someone that Hopkins has worked with because he wants someone who's a little bit more objective maybe from having heard Hopkins' other 
abductee friend stories. Mm-hmm. He finally identifies. Yeah, I someone. find like Hopkins is someone who definitely isn't like. He's definitely like. I want this to be real, so <laughs> yeah. it's always going to be more leaning on the, the yeah, t- t- totally a real thing, right? As opposed to someone who's like, well, yeah, yeah, and skeptical. And Stryber throughout the book and especially at this point is still like I don't know what's going on I might be crazy I'm okay if I'm crazy if I'm crazy that makes a lot of sense to me uh so let's just like keep our options open but he's also open to the possibility that like some weird shit happened he doesn't know what the weird shit is but some weird shit happened and so he wants a psychiatrist who's sort of open to all of that and he finds someone Dr. Donald Klein at the New York State Psychiatric Institute who's also a hypnotist um so March 1st, 1986, Stryber has his first session, and they aim to recover memories about October 4th, 1985. Um, it was worth noting that Bud Popkins also was present for this, um, and he was only allowed to ask a couple of questions at the very end. And interestingly, several times Stryber was so intensely disturbed and frightened by what he was was remembering that he spontaneously came out of the hypnotic state several times, and that's apparently very unusual, very rare. Mm. So some of the things he remembered uh, anew during this hypnosis um, are things like that being coming over to him and tapping him with something like a silver ruler between his eyes, which caused Stryber to see images of things like the world blowing up. And then he heard a voice say, that's your home. That's your home. You know why this will happen. And he oh my really God. Is that a threat? <laughs> my- Shit. So he's he also sees images of like his son playing in a grassy field, but he had this feeling that like it wasn't a grassy field so much as the afterlife. So he's being shown images, he says, of his worst nightmares, like his worst possible fears existentially. Um, his worst fear is like when my son dies, he's going to end up in a meadow. That's I don't know. That's I hate that. I hate that so much. Um, I'm, I'm raising my child for hell. God. Damn it. But it is, he is at this time also starting to like, in his writing work, um, veer more and more towards things like nuclear war and thinking about like, what would that mean? Um, And so those are some of the images that are starting to come up as well. When they turn to December 26th, Stryber uncovers new memories there as well. And so among the details there is a conversation with the figure that was sitting before Stryber in that ditch, uh, the feminine being. And Stryber says that she wore a tan suit, had leathery skin. Um, He says... I think you are old. Are you old? And she says, yes, I'm old. She had a deep basso profundo (laughs) voice, apparently, like, really? Yes, I'm old. And so apparently, though, when when he so that this is the same night, by the way, as the the operation and he starts screaming. Apparently, when uh, when she brings up the idea of doing this operation, Stryber says, I'm not going to let you do that. You have absolutely no right to it. She responded, we do have a right. And they also said some other weird shit, like, you are our chosen one. And he remembers thinking, now they're just making fun of me. This is unkind. Well, I guess all of it's unkind. But he was like, this is, now you're just making fun of me. I do not consent, and this is mean. Stop mocking me. Um, And during that same session, he suddenly remembers an earlier event, one from his childhood. He spontaneously regresses further, essentially, back to 1957, when he, his father, and his sister are on a train from Madison, Wisconsin. He remembers seeing his sister asleep below him and a gray being in a chair in front. And then he saw his father standing up, looking terrified, which in turn made Stryber feel terrified. And then he heard his father screaming, but faintly, as though, like, muffled. And the figure in the chair, same alien woman, uh, shows him a line of soldiers in uniforms on beds. And he asks, who are all those people? 
And the alien says, they are all soldiers. Stryber, why'd they end up here? Alien, because they were alone. Stryber, what do you do to them? Alien, we look over them and send them home. Until that moment, the only recollection Stryber had had about this journey was that he was violently ill all night, vomiting, sick, and his father had been really worried and staying up with him. Other odd events. And here we're getting into some missing time situations. He remembers that in 1967, while studying at the University of Texas, Stryber experienced missing time, about 24 hours worth. So he remembered uh, eating lunch at noon one day in his apartment and then shocked to find that the very next second the meal is on the coffee table and is cold. He gets up to reheat it, notices the clock says it's 2 p.m., turns the timer on the oven to 15 minutes, remembers he should check the temperature setting, turns back, suddenly woozy, and now the sun's going down outside. The meal is cold again, so he's thought something is medically wrong with me. I need help. He puts his hand on the phone and sees on the oven clock it's now midnight. What this the went, hell? It's went on and on until 4.15 in the morning. That's a lot of jumps. That's a lot of jumps. That's too many jumps. You got to check that carbon <laughs> monoxide detector after that one. <laughs> I think you have to get a CAT scan. I think that's <laughs> yeah. what oh, yeah. to do. That's dangerous stuff. And like he's not finding himself on the floor. You would think that like if you pass out, like, you know, you wake up and you're like, oh, well, I'm this. I'm on the linoleum. No, now. It's like a blink. It's like a blink. Um, and a few weeks later, it gets worse. He's like, he's, he's like, like I, I, I only, I never drank more than wine, but when I had wine, I would have like six bottles. <laughs> and then I would, I would christen the, uh, the side of the you house. Christen the then. house, of course. Tony Valor style. Um, no, but, th- but th- that is, uh, crazy. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. And so then a few weeks later, he suddenly feels this need to get out of the country entirely. And he saves enough money to go to London. He rents a flat. And by July, weird jumble of memories happened while he was at a friend's house he suddenly remembers um like looking over at the chimneys from above wakes up in his own flat doesn't know how and the next day he's like i need to get out of london so he leaves he says he's going to be gone for two weeks he ends up on the continent and then all of the memories get a little fuzzy he doesn't quite Mm -hmm. remember he ends up in rome he meets a lady goes to Strasbourg, ends up in barcelona and he remembers just being terrified the entire time afraid to put out the lights wanting to keep windows and doors locked um and then he ends up back in london and he doesn't remember how he gets there no idea and he goes to his apartment and seem it seems that the management company has already let it out to someone else because he was gone far longer than two weeks but he has no recollection of those weeks Wow. And he didn't remember this until being under hypnosis. He always had a version of events in his mind. So he always had a version of events where he was like, yeah, I just, you know, I took a train trip and I, you know, I stayed in Florence, I think, for like six weeks too long. I don't remember why. When he went to Florence, he was like, oh, no, I've never been here. This looks nothing like anything. I don't remember anything. <laughs> um, so it's, again, the sort of like weird screen memory of like, I don't know what happened. So I must have been in Florence. Right. <laughs> well, that's what I usually say. <laughs> It's like, I remember much out. of that. I saw him in Florence. Um, <laughs> so, so it's like with this hypnosis, it's like he went and he brought his car in to get his, like his, his brakes were making that sound. And then they were like, yeah, but you have, look at all these other memories you have to pull out here. Hold <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, you need a new <laughs> engine. So you, exactly. You're also missing like two wheels, dude. <laughs> um, and then his next memories start to bring in his wife as well. So in 1977, he says he remembered his wife, he and his wife were in their living room and they were, they heard a voice come in through the stereo and they even had a conversation with it. And all Stryber remembers are the last words. 
I know something else about you. And then once again, he was like, nope, you need to move. So every time something happened, he's like, nope, got to get out of here. Nope, 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 nope. Uh-uh. Got to go. In 1982, Stryber and his wife were living in the village with their, at the time, very young son. Um, one night, Anne woke up screaming and said a translucent white being about three feet tall poked her in the stomach and then ran away. And they're like, <laughs> And they're like, this is a nightmare. Don't worry about it. The next night, Stryber was struck on the arm and saw a pale shape run down the hall. And he joked with Anne that, like, I guess your nightmare is catching. And then a few nights later, their son shrieked and said a little white thing had poked me and poked me in his bed. And then a following week, Anne and Stryber were at a friend's wedding reception. And they called to check on their son at home with the babysitter. And the babysitter said, well, everything's all right. There was a bit of trouble, but it's okay now. And so they rushed home because no one wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she reported that while cooking dinner, a child in a white sheet startled her by peering into the kitchen from the fire. Escape. No. <laughs> no. Big no. Ew. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't like that. So from the fire escape, like Salem's Lot style. Like, yeah. Hello. Ah! The window. And it was... And it Ew. was notable enough that she reported it as some trouble on the phone. Yeah. So she was clearly freaked out enough because, you know, I, I would be freaked out if I saw just the kid in a white sheet. I would drop kick that thing off the fire drop escape kick. so fast. You get you the kidding? fuck out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. So that brings us back to the the present, so to speak, of of where he is in the narrative, right? He's in this hypnotic, you know, 1986 exploratory phase, right? And then, so this is a trope we'll recognize. Around this time, he was he thinks to himself, like, "God, if only I could, if only I could make them come at will and like talk to me." March fifteenth, nineteen eighty six. Stryber is jabbed in the shoulder during his sleep and Idiot. wakes up. I, I know. He wakes up fully <laughs> conscious. He says it's not like before. He is completely recalls everything about this. At the bed were three small people wearing blue coveralls. It's um, after Labor Day. <laughs> <laughs> Driver writes that these were familiar figures, not the fierce, huge-eyed feminine being that I've described before, but rather stocky and solidly built with gray humanoid faces and glittering, deep-set eyes. He describes them as feeling like a good little army. Um, He turned on the light, but the switch didn't work. (laughs) What a quaint quaint man. Well, Whitley. (laughs) This guy does not know how to describe things. Yes, at all. He doesn't know how people talk. (laughs) <laughs> not how people speak about sure. terrifying things that poke and prod you and do a things good to your little body. Army. Uh, <laughs> Caroline was just telling me in, in the she's seen a clip from the film adaptation of the story in which Christopher Walken as Whitley Stryber describes the things as looking like thick kids. <laughs> ah, they're, they're, they're thick kids. Big, thick kids. <laughs> That's incredible. That's There's incredible. never been a thick child. What does that mean? <laughs> Well, he tries to turn on the light and the switch doesn't work. And so he, he turns to look at them again. The one that he keeps gendering as female is now present as well. Um, but slightly different. It seems like it might be a different version of this type of alien. Um, it wore, quote, an inept... It wore an inept cardboard imitation of a... <laughs> I'm sorry. You can't even get through it. <laughs> what is it? I just think it's hilarious. It wore an inept cardboard imitation of a blue double-breasted suit. <laughs> Stop! Complete. That's not what I expected you to say. <laughs> like a card, like a like a paper doll. Like it's just kind of like complete with a white triangle handkerchief poking out of the pocket. 
Stop. I love that it's inept. I love that it's a poorly done. Like it's brown cardboard that they've like like scribbled partly with a magic marker. They painted it blue with a sharpie. I love that it has a little pocket square though. That's very cute. They're like, oh, these people like fucking details and and, and (laughs) Um, accessories. So now apparently Stryber's terrified, but he realizes this is momentous. They had responded to a summons. He needs to communicate somehow. He wants to show he's not threatening. And so he smiles at them and then they whoosh dash away and he's back asleep. Um, these guys are always zooming. They're getting into rooms. <laughs> very fast. Away. If you listen to our, the last episode on Ain't a Scary with Sean and Carrie, you'll know that their ships travel very slowly, but they apparently are super fast. <laughs> yes, the ships never more than 10 miles an hour. <laughs> um, so Stryber isn't the only one to go, undergo hypnosis without explaining like that he thinks he might be visited. Um, he, Anne says, like, I want to help you. If I can help you, I will go under hypnosis as well. And she goes to a different psychiatrist, someone who, you know, this way this person doesn't know the stories that Stryber's been communicating. Um, and Anne also starts to express that she experienced weirdness. Um, hers takes the form of even under hypnosis, she cannot remember blocks of time. Like you get up to the point where like, oh, and then it was strange, but no, I don't, I don't think, no, there was nothing. There was nothing there. It was just suddenly six o'clock, you know, that kind of thing. Um, she recalled in October the idea that the house was be- was full feeling. Um, she heard her son and could tell that he was frightened, but she couldn't move. She said she wanted to get up and help, but she couldn't. And so Bud Hopkins, who was again present but only allowed a couple of times to speak, asks why she didn't get up to see what was happening. And uh, I I would love if uh, Sean Carey, you would indulge me here mm-hmm. and uh, play Anne and the Doctor. Sure. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, this my. is exciting. All right. So I'll be Anne. <laughs> I couldn't because I wouldn't. I was I afraid to or wasn't supposed to. I wasn't supposed to. It was like your mother said to you, you have to stay here. Even if you don't, you're dying to get out and see what's going on. But, you know, because you've been told you were trained to do that. Well, we're all trained to do that from childhood. Who told you that? That's Bud Hopkins, everyone, by the way. (laughs) Nobody told me. I just had to do it. Is this something Whitley told you? No, he's just left. No. You have an impulse to turn on a light. Oh, no, no. I wasn't supposed to see. Who said so? No one said so. I just knew it. You weren't supposed to see? No, and I just knew it. That's what worried me because I wasn't supposed to know, but my son was so afraid. And Whitley was saying things like, the roof is on fire and I wasn't supposed to do anything. It's like somebody says, well, the car is crashing, but don't do anything. Thank you very much. So this Thank goes you. on and on where she's like, keeps coming up to like the event and then is like, nope, I remember nothing. And she also talks about having the sense that it's this way because she's meant to protect, to like be the the solid one, so that Stryber doesn't have a complete breakdown. Like that's basically her, her reason for being um, in this kind of situation. I mean, I, I can't imagine your husband's like, "We got to get out of here. We'll go to Texas." No, we can't go to Texas. We got to go home. We can't be here. <laughs> right. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, uh, and their son too starts to share more of his recollections. So, uh, Adam, would you kindly, would you kindly be? Um, can be the son. son. You can be the son, and I'd like your your creepiest yeah, child voice. Clearly. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Daddy. You don't need to tell me. What do you mean? 
well, I was dreaming that I was on a boat with Ezra and someone was attacking and we were about to dive off and I was in the middle of the air when I switched this dream where I was in the hospital in the future where they were trying to cure some kind of disease. I'm not sure what it was. And I was taken out of my bed and onto a cot and out on the porch. Who took you out of the bed and onto the cot? Some kind of doctor. What did he look like? Oh, he was very short and fat man with glasses that came out pointed upward like that. And he always has a big fake smile on him. He kind of kept it there, except when he was asleep. Did you see him when he wasn't smiling? Yeah, when he was doing the operation on me. What kind of operation? Well, it was kind of like a test. What did he do? It was a disease on my arm. No, wait. He kept your nose cold like when you eat a lot of ice cream. You say you were examined on the porch. What do you mean by that? Well, they took me onto the porch. There was no way to get me in the operation room because of all the moving equipment. And then by the porch light, I mean kind of like the outside lights at the country house. You know, at the country house, there's that porch light. That's a light that was on. So their son yeah, also goes on, on to talk about like being watched by a skeleton in the corner of the room. Ew. Yeah. Cle- uh, clearly a person then- who was taught to talk by Whitley Stryber. <laughs> <laughs> My nose was cold, like eating ice cream. Like eating ice cream. <laughs> um, and he says, you know, when Stryber's like, what do you mean the skeleton in the corner of the room? He's like, you know, the ones that keep saying... We won't hurt you. We won't hurt you. Don't worry. Stop it. Oh, jeez. Gross. We won't hurt you. We won't hurt you. <laughs> um, and then on March 21st, Stryber woke up um, and found himself unable to move, unable to open his eyes. He had the impression that something was being, like, pushed up his nose. Um, and when he tried to struggle, he heard like a the sound of a pop like a like apples crunching in between the in between his eyes and the next thing he remembered it was morning don't like that and his nose hurt and there was a little bleeding and apparently both Anne and the son had similar injuries but no memory of anything being inserted so he brushed it off but whereas their pain started to go away strivers did not so he goes to a doctor and the doctor said it could be a scratch that led to this formation and it soon went away. So whatever. But in July 1986, Stryber's psychiatrist sent a letter suggesting that many of Stryber's symptoms were consistent with an abnormality in the temporal lobe and that the method of testing this would involve a nasal probe. Now, the temporal Absolutely. lobe helps us perceive things. Like more? He needs more shit up his nose? Like maybe some of the symptoms. Get out of Whitley's holes. <laughs> Stop. Or like maybe the the the, the aliens are testing yeah, him yeah. through the, the lobe through. And maybe lobe. honestly, they're just like checking for COVID. Like maybe they're being very thoughtful. <laughs> being very thoughtful, you know. I will insert that the documentary on Hudson Valley UFOs that are involved like more recent sightings. Um, on Discovery Plus, it had this guy that was like, yeah, one night it felt like, uh, you know, I thought I was having a dream or whatever, but it felt so real. And they were, you know, I was abducted. They put something up my nose and I I was feeling so much pain. And eventually I had to go to like a nose doctor, Mm -hmm. whatever they are called. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, and the guy examined him. He's like, oh, you got something up here. And he pulled it out and it was like a like a huge like yeah. quarter size kind of clot mass sort of thing. And he's like, the doctor said, I don't know exactly what this is. If this is like a nasal polyp, this is the by far the biggest one I've ever seen. 
but this is very weird. So, I mean, maybe that's like their thing in Hudson Valley. They're really about yeah. the no stuff. Well, and Linda Cortile too. She has, um, I forget what it is that made her first like have it checked, but they, they did the like, cat scanned her. yeah, the cat scanned her and there was this like weird thing in her nose. Um, mm-hmm. and she was debating about having it removed and then, um, it was suddenly gone. Yeah. Um, and that's also a thing that like they'll get it removed and then it just disappears or whatever. And yeah. you know, they, they're not able to like recover whatever foreign item Jeez. was in their nose. Yeah. I'll say, too, Weird. that um, Stryber ends up going to, like, Hopkins support group after a while and reports lots of other things. But he also spends a lot of time in the book, like, ruminating on, like, what could be going on here. And, uh, Sean, you meant you sort of alluded to this earlier. There are a couple of things. One, he says, like, you know, it could be aliens, right? He also hypothesizes, as I look for my notes, um, that perhaps the visitors are from this earth somehow, but so different from us that we have not yet understood that they are even real. He talks a lot about like stories of fairies and, you know, extra dimensional kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that is that is sort of um, a theory, both involving aliens and like ghosts or whatever. It's just yeah. sort of mm-hmm. like a parallel dimension bleed over into the multiverse theory. We've 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 covered some stuff like in the multiverse like theory, yeah. and it's like, oh, that's just when things are just so close that there is an overlap in dimension. Yeah. yeah. Um. He also suggests that you know maybe these are truly hallucinations brought on by like electromagnetic whatevers, and then here are the two that I think are creepy and weird and also kind of crazy that I think are, I don't know. He keeps talking about the idea of what if they're visitors from within us? So he talks a lot about the old gods and, you know, maybe they were manifested in ways that made sense and maybe this is somehow us manifesting something from within us, outside of us. I'm unclear. The second thing that I find deeply disturbing is what if these are, quote, an aspect of the human species, unquote. So he proposes that maybe we have an afterlife. And here I'm going to quote him again. But not quite in the way tradition suggests. Maybe you and I are larvae, and the visitors are human beings in the mature form. Certainly we are consuming our planet's resources with at least the avidity of caterpillars on a shrub. My word. Does he support that with anything else or just the idea that he just got really high one day and was staring at a caterpillar? He never uses drugs. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, he's sitting there with a glass of wine like, dude, caterpillars. So... Yeah, so so it's uh that's that's basically it. Is that uh, it? That's more more or less it. You know, there are a few other instances, and you know he feels, you know, stories that are shared with other people in Hopkins' group, um, you know, but uh, yeah, he he. There are some things that are you know interestingly overlapped with other stories, and we've touched on some of them, right? So. There's a, a sense of being warned or shown a glimpse of the future, like nuclear war or climate change, implants. Um, there's also a, a, a commonality being removed during sleep or from moving vehicles, so often cars, but in this case, the train. Weirdly, um, if if anyone listened to the Pine Bush episode we did, the gray tan bodysuit that I thought made Ellen Crystal sound crazy <laughs> features here as well, um, as well as a surprise at being like, the aliens are, are seen. They're surprised that we noticed them. Um, lost time, implants, screen memories. Um, oh, I didn't talk about the sexual tests. Oh, my I'll gosh. We've got to get into the sexual tests. we got to get into the sexual tests. I'll just say that and this came, this is where my There's brain... always enough time for the sexual tests. So <laughs> what happened earlier, I forget what it was that you said, Sean, but you said something um, which made me think, oh, when that um, 
when the 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 gray lady was in the ditch and he was like, oh, I think she's a female. Yes. Apparently, at one point during that event, um, he remembered her asking, "Is that as hard as you can get?" And he was like, "What are you talking about?" And then realized it was about his penis. And he said, "Well, as long as you're here, I think so." And that was the story. So he didn't story. find her attractive. Did not find her attractive. Wasn't I see. It. Wasn't feeling it. But again, it's that idea of like the possibility of human alien hybrids and them taking our whatever. That's a whole. Because Eisenhower signed that pact. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. My God. Signed away your babies. My word. What a journey. Well, thank you for always being our resident alien researcher for the the (laughs) mystery mission. My honor. And again, if you haven't listened to 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 our our other companion piece for this which is found on ain't it scary with sean and carrie that was Mm -hmm. dropped just this past thursday and they can find ain't scary wherever they listen to the podcasts yeah wherever you listen to podcasts and and that episode in particular uh i think i mean honestly if you got this far in this episode uh, i i don't think you were lost without that one but i think now that you have the context of the i think in either order i think this is a nice yeah uh crossover because that'll be some some uh, context. That's all the alien Some nice uh, flavor, not aliens yeah. necessarily, but the UFO sightings uh, in in throughout the mid 80s there in the Hudson Valley. Yeah, it wasn't just Whitley. And it, I was going to say, it's worth noting uh, Stryber is constantly saying that, like, everyone kept trying to tell us they were hoaxes in the newspapers. But there were all apparently I learned after the fact that thousands of people saw these things. So and you'll hear about yeah, as we thousands. said, on the, <laughs> as we said on the show, I, I don't think there's in any UFO phenomenon that I've heard of, at least that has more attestations yeah. than that Hudson Valley one. Thousands of people is a lot of people to have seen one thing. Yeah. And uh, as always, if you if you like what you hear on our show, uh, be sure to like, subscribe, follow and all that jazz on the iTunes, Apple podcast. Please rate and review. Um, if you do, you will be entered to, to win our uh, podcast uh, listener of the month. I can't speak. It's fine. It's been a lot of podcasting tonight. A lot of podcasting, a lot um, of coffee. Uh, so follow, but also follow on the socials at NY Mysteries on Twitter, at NY Mystery Machine on the Instagram and the Facebook, and be sure to follow uh, Ain't It Scary on all their socials. They're just at Ain't It Scary on, on all the things, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They make it really easy. We couldn't, we couldn't fit it. We can fit it at NY Mystery Machine on Twitter. They limited <laughs> us. Um, and yeah, uh, and again, if you like listening to us, you clearly you do. You've been listening. Um, you'll love Sean Carey show. Um, they do like what we do. Only they're smart enough to not limit it to just uh, <laughs> to New York. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so if if you want the uh, uh, yeah similar flavor of stories, but stuff that's not as specific to your interests, listener. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because whoever's listening to this presumably is here for for New York content. But hey, if you uh, if you travel outside the borders, uh, come on over and visit. And if you're a listener to Ain't Scary, welcome, welcome, welcome to listen so nice to our to show. Have you here? I'm sorry, we didn't welcome you at the top. We didn't We're welcome you, bad listeners hosts. of Ain't Scary with Sean Carey. Um, so welcome, welcome. We hope Hi. to we hope to have you coming aboard the New York Mystery Machine as well. So I've been Adam Mace. I've been Christina Marinelli. They've been Sean and Carrie from Eight Scary Sean and Carrie. And uh, thanks for taking a ride aboard the New York Mystery Machine. Tony Oh, it's so loud today. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. <laughs>